0: Getting older sucks, but midlife doesn't have to. I'm your host, Caroline Fardig, here to bring a weekly hour of fun to the middle children of society, Gen Xers. Together, we'll navigate midlife like it's 1999. Welcome to the Wrong Side of Forty. Welcome back to The Wrong Side of 40. I'm your host, Caroline Fardig, here today with author Nicole Kristoff talking writing craft, and Jennifer Vinson with some great photography tips to make our amateur photos look more professional. Carrie Olzak returns with some more great bench picks as well, plus we'll check out some cool book merch with the owners of Blue Stocking Social. You might want to have a pen, a notepad, and your trusty reading glasses at the ready, because there's a good chance you might learn something awesome today on The Wrong Side of 40 looking for a new series for the next time you want to Netflix and chill or Hulu and hang or Disney Plus And well, you get the idea. Here's your weekly dose of binge worthy TV. We have my friend Carrie Olzak back for some more binge picks. And these are just for fun. Hi Carrie. Hi. We're going to start out with Grace and Frankie on Netflix. Tell us about Grace and Frankie. I have not watched this one yet.
1: Okay. Grace and Frankie is about, it's, it's Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin I would say it's kind of an odd couple scenario. like they they are they know each other because their spouses work together and so they kind of tolerate each other and then they're suddenly thrust into having to more than tolerate each other. like they, they have to rely on each other. And so it's kind of a fun you just watch this 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 this, this toleration for each other turn into an actual friendship and it's fun.
0: All right. So is it super funny or is it also got it's like heartfelt moments?
1: It, it has both. It, 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 the, there are some definite laugh out loud moments, um, but then, there, there, yeah, it can be
0: heartfelt. I have cried watching this show. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's, it's got it all. But, all right. So how many seasons are out right now?
1: I believe there have been, oh my gosh, I'm probably, I don't remember now how many seasons are out. I know that they are in the midst of their last season. Okay. They, it in two parts and the second part is yet to be released so. all right
0: so good to know so it's almost over you can almost binge the whole thing then yes almost all right. good all right well let's talk about uh your other just for fun pick new girl and that just happens to be my current binge series and also one of my favorite series of all time now that i really think about it and have i'm like probably about halfway through the whole series and I told her earlier, no spoilers, because <laughs> I think I know one thing that's going to happen because I saw it, you know, how Netflix puts up the little, like, like a little snip from from one of the, the shows. And well, I won't say anymore because I won't ruin it for anybody else. But like, I think I know what's going to happen. So anyway, go ahead. New Girl, seven seasons. I love
1: New Girl because um, it's incredibly quirky. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And it's not just uh, the main character of Jess that is quirky. It winds up at, at first you. you it seems like that, but every character
0: is oh, incredibly quirky. They've all got an issue or two. Or two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and every character has laugh out loud moments. I, I, there's never an episode where I don't wind up laughing out loud at the, on this show.
0: And I mean, can we talk about the guest stars that they have? Like. For real, every guest star that they've had on this has gone on to do something that has been amazingly funny or amazingly great or been like a smash hit yeah. or something like that. I mean, their guest stars have been crazy good. Like the one I'm watching now, and I mean, this this girl isn't necessarily like a, a big star or anything, but she was in Hawaii Five-0, which is like one of my other favorite series of all time. And she ended up being one of the main characters in the last couple seasons of that. And she was one of Coach's girlfriends on new uh, So I was just okay. like, ah! <laughs> so I was excited to see her. And then, and then, you know, there are like the, the smaller cameos that people have, like Schmidt's rude friend from like, I, it was one of the first few episodes, but he's been in community. He was yes. on community. And then he's been in AP bio and he is just a crack up on every show that you see. And he's usually mm-hmm. like a big, big dorky guy, but in this one, he was like a super smooth, like he was like a super Schmidt
1: right? Yeah. That's
0: super and so I saw him and I was just like, ah! <laughs> but, but anyway, I, yes, I do. I love it. And they, I mean, they, they do have big actors. They like had what Tay Diggs and they've had like Jessica yeah. Biel and Taylor Swift and just like, yeah. like a ton of people. And you know, every episode is like, Ooh, I wonder who's going to be on this one. You know, it's, yeah. it's always fun to like, <laughs> like, Ooh, I bet it's somebody I know but uh, so okay so who's your favorite new girl character it's Nick it's Nick okay it's
1: Nick that's the whole reason I've actually started re-watching this show because there was a day my husband and I were texting back and forth and I used a, a, a gif of Nick in response to something and then I kept doing it I kept finding a different gif of Nick
0: <laughs> and I was like you know what I need to watch this show again. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Well, I, and I think I feel this because he steals literally every scene he is in, but Schmidt is my very favorite. He is absolutely my favorite. I just get like, every scene I'm just like, what's Schmidt doing in the background? You know, he's always doing something silly and every word, like, every line he delivers, like there is some kind of weird inflection that he puts on a certain word and it makes any line, but I don't care if he is just like, oh, hey, there's some Doritos. He was like, oh, hey, some Doritos over there. Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that's a new girl everybody needs to watch new girl just because it's the best and you know thanks yeah. to my son and his girlfriend for getting me to watch it because i think they're or they had i think they had just got done binging it and they're like oh you really need to watch this so oh, anyway, good. To those guys for doing that but anyway yes and thank you to you carrie for being here for binge picks i think we have a lot of watching to do yeah <laughs> no problem <laughs> All right, today I have Nicole Kristoff, my author friend on the podcast, and she is a writer, broadcaster, and former military spouse who swears she owes Jane Austen, James Thurber, and Raymond Chandler for her taste in fiction. She holds a BA in communication from Bowling Green State University and an MA from Georgetown University, where she focused on the relationship between literature and society. Nicole is an award-winning author of the Jamie Sinclair thriller series, which is a Daphne du Maurier Award finalist, and The Kill Box, which is a Library Journal Best Book pick. When Nicole isn't at her desk working on her latest novel or teaching genre writing at a Midwestern university, she's out in the woods with her ornery English pointer. Hi, Nicole. Thank you for being on the podcast today. How are you?
2: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here for your new podcast. Yeah, thank you. Nicole and I have talked
0: before, but I'm not sure if this episode is going to air first or the other episode is going to air first. So anyway, welcome. Um, We are going to talk writing today. And Nicole and I actually met through Random House Alibi, where we were both authors kind of at the same time. And they, um, they kind of you know, found ways for us to meet each other and kind of, you know, be able to share our experiences. And uh, I'm happy to have done that because now I've got a new author friend and uh, she's fairly close. We're Indiana and Ohio.
2: That's right. That's right.
0: All right. So how and when did you get into writing?
2: I think in some ways I've always been into writing. I've certainly always been in the stories you know, I would uh, write short stories that I would try to get into my high school uh, literary magazine. And sometimes I could, and sometimes I couldn't. And um, went off to college and my mom really wanted me to write novels, right? And try to get a scholarship writing novels. And that just seemed like the craziest thing I would ever heard. And I wasn't interested in doing that. And I went into broadcasting instead, but even in broadcasting, uh, getting the news on the air both in radio and television you do a lot of writing and it uh, wasn't long after I was working in news that I just I was drawn to, to the novel form and would kind of write in my off time and um, I actually had a show canceled on me and so I had two weeks uh, before I went to a, another affiliate and so I started writing a novel uh, and I worked on that thing and I um, I think that's where I really got the bug for, for the, the writing a novel, but I've always been a reader. Um, I love, uh, novel length fiction. I love mystery fiction, detective fiction. There's just something about it. I think that feeds my soul, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Unraveling a mystery, you know, seeing justice in the world through a mystery. Um, cause you know what? We don't always get that, do we in real life? Um, and there's just something about it that just feeds my soul. So I think I've always kind of been a writer uh, but it's just really been the last few years that I decided to seriously pursue it. And, uh, and it's been working so far. So that's yeah, a great thing. For sure. <clears throat> so did you, was that novel, that first one that you wrote, did you end
0: up releasing it?
2: Uh, I did not. I did query it. So for your listeners who may not be familiar with uh, how publishing works and what querying means, um, it means that I reached out to literary agents uh, who are the the people who try to uh, get your work in front of um, publishing houses, acquiring editors at publishing houses, and sometimes those are bigger publishing houses or uh, presses that specialize, publishing houses that specialize in history or science fiction or romance. And they might not always be open to, um, hearing, uh, from writers one-on-one. So having an agent can be helpful. So I started querying that first novel and I actually had, um, really good statistics querying that novel. Um, I would get a request, Uh, from an agent to see that novel uh, one out of three times, which is pretty unusual. That is. Um, But the best advice and the most heartbreaking advice I got was from a a well-known New York agency who didn't make me an offer. And the woman said to me that uh, it was very helpful, but it was hard to hear. She said, you know what? I think on page 26, when you have that character who comes in and puts the report down on the desk and says one thing about the report and leaves. And I said, yeah. And she said, I think that character should be your protagonist. I think you should rewrite the entire novel. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah, around that one character. And here's why. And she explained why. And I was really heartbroken and it took me a good six months to kind of figure out how that would work and what that would look like and what would it mean if that character were at the center of the story and calling the shots and you know pushing through the investigation and was um, it a secondary character that you had was i think yes it was a secondary character and i think you saw her twice in the entire (laughs) um, yeah like she would walk in and say you know like reveal something about the report or reveal something about
0: Hey guys,
2: you need to see this person, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. and I just yeah, and it just it threw me for a loop, and it took me about six months to get my head around what would that look like. So, um, but that novel, um, it's not it's not published, but it went on uh, uh, an iteration of it won me a scholarship that helped pay for my uh, master's classes, my master's degree. Um, it won a couple other awards. It got my foot in the door in front of. Uh, the The agent who would eventually become my agent, that novel was never published. But by uh, rewriting it, sticking with that idea but rewriting it, um, that's that manuscript. What it what it has become uh, was the novel that got me my literary agent. Uh, uh, that got me a scholarship that helped pay for grad school, uh, that won a couple, uh, smaller national awards for unpublished authors. It opened doors for me. So even if, you know, if you're a writer and you think, oh my gosh, you know, nobody wants my novel, it's still prepping you and hopefully pointing you in the direction that you want to go and opening, opening doors for you. Um, So I don't regret starting that novel all those years ago because it's been a building block for, for when I am today. So.
0: Sure. So did you, was that around the time that you were 40 or was that, was that farther, uh, before that?
2: Oh, let me think about that. Um, that was before that. Okay. Um, still working in news. I was in my thirties. I tried to, I tried to start a novel off and on in my twenties and I just, um, it, they just didn't go anywhere. They just mm-hmm. I could and I think it's, I think it's a matter not, not to say that people in their 20s can't write. I don't mean that. But I think sometimes, especially for novel and fiction, um, perspective helps. And it wasn't until I was in my thirties that I could really pull it together and start querying. And it wasn't until my early forties that I was able to, you know, get that scholarship, get that agent, um, get that contract with a publishing house. Um, and I just think that's, you know, you just you grow as a person through your twenties and thirties, and and I think it can really come together for you um, in your forties, and hopefully, hopefully. It's- keeps coming together for me right as we uh get into our 50s and 60s and beyond but yeah (laughs) right (laughs) yeah all right so not only are you a writer but you also teach writing craft at college so how long have you been teaching as a writer I've always given uh workshops at conferences at at libraries for high school kids um and uh, about uh probably about probably about seven years ago, I had the opportunity to build a course uh, for a, uh, a small midwestern college for their grad grad program uh, in creative writing. And they asked me to focus on genre writing. And then they asked me to teach it. And then they asked me to teach other things um, connected to that. Uh, and that was great and I loved it. And then I had two books due in the same year and I said, I need to take a break. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know it's hard to write a novel anyway, but if you're writing two in one year, have two do in one year, and um, and teach two, that that takes a lot. Um, so I I took a little break from that, but I still do workshops um, and speak to groups and um, uh, work with uh, college students, work with grad students, work with uh, high school students. Yeah.
0: So when you were teaching full-time, if you were having a writing issue in your own writing, like maybe writer's block, block, trouble with your storyline, did you find that issue ever creeping into your lesson plans during classes?
2: Did you try to work it out? (laughs) That is a good question. It doesn't always, it didn't always creep into lesson plans, but sometimes it would creep into individual feedback with particular students, right? Because I think the problems that one writer has, other writers often have and so then you know we're, we were sometimes able to talk about that in in a group setting or one on one you know when they you know if they were saying gosh I just you know why is this not coming together why is the suspense not there why is the you know i could say well you know in my experience this is mm-hmm. why and you know and let's look at you know what this writer says about it and that writer says about it and um, so I don't know that it would, it would come into lesson plans, but it certainly would come into that one-on-one with students and, and the feedback that you give to the students. Yeah. So did that, so did
0: the, the discussion then on the other side, when you went back to writing, did that help you? And were you able to to just like blow through whatever trouble you were having after
2: having these other discussions? I don't know if you could say it's directly related to that. I think sometimes when you're having a problem with your manuscript, I think you just have to, um, either commit to working through it or you have to commit to skipping it, right? Skipping that (laughs) element. And that's hard, right? You don't, I think none of us, um, none of us want to walk away from things, um, a particular storyline that's not working or an element that's not working. And, um, and you just have to either commit to, to, you know, sticking with it and finding a way uh, and working through various avenues. And, you know, critique group can be great for that. Um, fellow authors can be great for that. Um, or, you know, sometimes you just have to say, you know what, that's not working. And I'm, and I'm going to move on. And my agent has been great for that. Because <laughs> sometimes she'll say, you know, this scene, maybe that maybe that, that's not quite working the way you want. Um, so I think you have to kind of commit to one or the other. and um, I don't know that that would dawn on me working with students necessarily in a particular context, but it was it was always you know great to see them um, tackle either sticking with something or moving on and seeing how that worked for them, and it just kind of reinforces you know I can I can do that too I can do that too I've you know I'm helping them with that there by example they're helping me with that and that's a good thing so. that is yeah I've had
0: a, an entire book that I had to move on from it was done it was finished. Oh. Everybody hated oh. it except for me and my <laughs> husband. Really liked it.
2: Everybody else was like this.
0: It's a piece of crap.
2: <laughs> was oh, that, well. an early one? was I, that a first like a first manuscript for you? Or is that something? No, new? no, this was like a couple of years ago. Like I had
0: written I I don't know, 15 books ahead of that one. And then it was just I, it was a deviation from my genre. And that always is a bad idea. or did it help you grow a little do you think did it help your skill set grow I mean maybe I hope so (laughs) but like the the book was evidently just a hot mess but whatever (laughs) that happens yeah that happens, happens right yeah all right so are there any exercises you use in your class that writers either new or uh experienced writers can benefit from anything that you kind of like to use on your own, even that you would teach in class as a, as a basic thing that every writer needs to do? I,
2: I think so. Um, I'm a big fan of asking questions, asking my students questions, asking myself questions, you know, especially in regards to a, a per, you know, a particular scene or a particular character. or um, And I think that helps in, when you're writing a scene, you know, what does this scene need to accomplish? What is it supposed to reveal to the readership? If there's a antagonist in that scene or if there's a, you know, someone, uh, you know, a character who, for whatever reason, wants to kind of hide the truth or whatever. Why are they hiding that truth? What are they doing uh, to hide that truth? What are they saying? And I think asking yourself those kinds of questions, you know, what's really on your on the main character's mind in that scene? You know, that may not be the same thing that's coming out of their mouth or coming out of their actions. And why is that? And how do you kind of show that um, so that readers can pick up on that. Um, I think when you ask yourself those kinds of questions that can, that can get you out of a lot of um, ruts and dips and depressions if you feel your story's not coming together for you. And I, you know, I would share that with my students. I try to apply that myself. And I find the more questions I can ask myself, the sharper, more focused, smarter questions I can ask myself, the sharper and more focused uh, a scene can be. And and that's how you write a novel, as you know, scene by scene. So um, that's what I try to do, and that's what I often recommend to my students. And sometimes I ask them those questions to prompt them to think that way. And then um, in you know in critique, if we if we have students you know interacting with other students in critique critique, um, I'm a fan of encouraging them to ask one another those questions because you know sometimes cr- critique can just be an awful experience and but if they're asking themselves um perceptive questions and asking one another perceptive questions i think it makes the critique experience a lot more uh effective and i think it it teaches them it teaches me to think that way about our writing um so that you know we're, we're putting those scenes together the way the way they'll be effective so yeah. that's what i try to do
0: I, I mean, I do the same thing. I have a little label that I make that um, basically I put, I start out writing in a, in a, like a physical notebook instead of like, cause I'm, I'm pretty techie and I like, you know, do a lot with the computer, but at the very beginning, I really just want my notebook and I want to be able to write stuff down. And I have these little scene note labels that I put in my book and they all say like, what is the point of this scene? Who's in this scene? why is this person in this scene? What do you, what do you need to accomplish by the end of this scene? You know, just to kind of make sure that there is a point to every scene. Cause I, when I first started writing, I was more, you know, we call a panster. And a lot of times there would be a scene where I'm like, all I did that for was a joke. Like, I mean, like there was a joke in the scene that I wanted to do. Cause I, you know, I would write more fluffy stuff at the beginning. And I was like, I, I wrote this like a sitcom like the, the whole scene was about this bit and it, it wasn't about furthering the story. And so now, you know, it's, I, I feel like I'm doing better with that, with my little scene notes and, you know, actually like going scene by scene and saying, okay, this has got to happen.
2: Then this has got to happen. Yeah. And I think that's the only way to learn to do it is to do it. You know, like you said, you know, sketching it out or, uh, and I start often with a notebook and with lists or with questions to myself. And then I write indent, you know, and write under, you know, in longhand what that what I think the answer to that is or bullet points. And of course that all may change by the time, you know, I, I actually start writing the actual scene, but um, yeah, no, I, I start the same way you do. And and I think the only way to learn that is to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the shame of it, right? The only way you learn to write a novel is by writing a novel. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it may be awful the first time, you know, but, and it may be awful the 10th time, but <laughs> <It'd be>. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way you learn to do it is doing it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah I, I finally have come up with more of a formula, which I mean, it, which is not to say that that's a bad thing. It's kind of a good right. thing because you formula makes a structure and you want the story structure to be strong. And that's really, right. I even, I even go down as to like, I have this, like, kind of a punch list when I have a a suspect interview that my characters are doing that um, I force myself to have that person either keep a secret from them tell them a lie or tell them the complete truth so I mean it has to be one of those three things for me like because I've started I've I've done lots of novels where like the person that they interview always tells them the truth and it's like that is not that does not happen in real life people don't Uh, you know, when, when you go ask somebody about a murder, you, they freak out for one thing and probably are going to say something weird. I mean, I think I would probably say something weird that I didn't even mean to say. And it was right. like, you know, not true, but like, i I would be so nervous that just something odd would come out and it wouldn't be what I mean to communicate. I, I try to make it so, you know, everything has a possible twist where they could come back and be like, well, no, wait a
2: minute. That yeah. wasn't quite right. And sometimes I'll write down in my notebook, you know, what happens if they lie about that? What happens if the suspect tells the truth about that? What happens if the suspect, you know, only tells part of the truth? And that, then I can think through, um, wow, that would be fascinatingly, you know, complicated and problematic for the good guys, if, you know, if the suspect does X, but, you know, it's just going to be boring if the suspect suspected why, you know, and so I can, I kind of, I'll, I'll take all three of those and kind of work through them. And I'm really glad you brought up formula, uh, sometimes at workshops or sometimes, uh, you know, in the classroom, students will say, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be formulaic. I don't, you know, I don't want to stick to formula. I want to be original and fresh. And I certainly don't want to say that formula is, is a good thing, but we all, talk in forms. Human interaction, storytelling is all about some type of form. Mm-hmm. You know, whether I say, hello, how are you? You, you, you know, we all kind of cue into that. If I say once upon a time, we all kind of cue into that. And, I and um, you know, form, not necessarily formula, but form um, is just another way for us to understand and to tell our stories in, in ways that I think can, can really bring us real connection with you know, with each other, with, you know, ideas like truth and justice and, you know, frustrations and, you know, the human condition. And um, so I'm really glad you brought up formula. All right. So
0: for your students, is there something that you always try to express to them about the writing industry? Like if they're, if they're aspiring authors, is there a common misconception about the industry that you make sure to kind of be like, hey, you know, that this, you know, especially like, hey, I want to be fresh and not formulaic is there something kind of like that, that you're like, you know, you kind of need to know this before going into it, that, you know.
2: It seems that in every, every, you know, every semester, I would always have one or two students who said, I'm going to do this and be rich, you know. Oh, that's the funniest one of all. Right? Yeah, it's like, well, maybe, but probably not, (laughs) you know, and, and so then, yeah, you need to talk about the realities of of the business of publishing, whether you're self publishing, whether you're, you know, going with a with a a small specialized press, if you're, you know, going for one of the big guns in New York, you know, um, yeah, talking about the business side of it, which, you know, it's not always exciting, and it may not be what motivates people. Um, I don't know that the business of it necessarily motivates me, you know, the creativity options might be what, motivates some students. But yeah, talking about the business of it. And, you know, you might not get rich, you know. All right. So those of us on the wrong side of 40 don't always
0: understand what the kids are talking about these days. As a professor, how do you stay current so you can
2: communicate with your students? Oh, gosh. Well, they kind of bring it to you, don't they? I mean, I guess so, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> You're kind of forced <laughs> they, to whether they, you want to or not. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and I don't think they always this is terrible. I don't think they always expect you to be current, right? I think right. they kind of expect you to be quote-unquote old, you know, because it doesn't matter, I think, whether you're in your 30s, whether you're in your 40s, you know, to, to someone who, you know, maybe 21, you know, th- thinking about hitting 40 is, that seems, that, that seems so far off, and it seems, you know, they seem to recognize that you're going to have a different set of experiences, so I don't know that they always expect you to be current, you know, <laughs> I think they expect you maybe to be, um, sometimes the voice of wisdom, whether or not you can be is something else. But, um, I think they, I think they, um, yeah, I think they expect different things from us than that. I, we're the ones I think that are hard. If we're over 40, I think we're hard on ourselves thinking we have to keep up and, and it, you know, it helps to kind of, you know, to, you know, to know what's on the radio and to know what's, movies are coming out and and that kind of thing. But, um, you you know, we're, you know, I think we put that pressure on ourselves once we're over 40. Like we think we're, you know, ancient and out of the swing of things and we're really not. Um, And I don't think students expect us to be, you know, right in the thick of what they're in the thick of. That's good.
0: Do you ever not practice what you preach as a professor or you know as even a writing craft uh workshop presenter you know uh, are there
2: some days where you're just like form is out the window I just want to write something (laughs) particularly about that form is out the window that's that's an interesting thought I think sometimes we might think we're doing that um I might think I'm doing that but you know I think I think something like form is so well ingrained into us right because um you know, we've heard stories since we were, you know, yay high. So um, we might think we're being, you know, radical and innovative. And, you know, maybe we're putting an interesting twist on things. But um, there's still some foundation under there still. And I think that's a good thing. I think there are times where, despite my advice to stick with it and ask yourself questions and, you know, and, and go through it, I think there are times where I just cannot wrap my head around that for that particular scene. So, you know, even though my advice might be to stick with it, sometimes I do have to maybe set that aside. You know, of course, that is the other advice, right? Let it go. Uh, (laughs) So I don't know. But yeah, it's it is it can be a little tough to practice what you preach. But I think on the whole, I think I think I do it because because I think it works. And I and I think I'm trying to You know, get ahead too. You know, you know, get ahead in my craft too. You know, you know, better my craft, better my my output. um, Just like my students um, want to do and and try to do. So yeah, I think on overall, I probably usually practice what I preach. Yeah. All right. So what's next for you, writing wise?
0: What are you working on?
2: I just sent a manuscript to my agent, so we'll wait and see what happens there. That means uh, for. For your listeners who might not be familiar with publishing, my agent will uh, read it. And if she suggests changes, I'll make some changes. And then she finds the, the, the best way to, to pitch it, you know, to describe it to acquiring editors and to try to work out a publishing deal or subsidiary rights deal for me. And then while she's working on that, I'm working on uh, kind of a small town thriller, Yeah, kind of, um, I've written uh, a thriller set in a small town before it was part of my larger Jamie Sinclair series. And there's just something about that small town dynamic that I just kind of felt like coming back to. I don't know if it's because we've all been, you know, kind of sticking close to home the last couple of years or, or what kind of just made me feel, you know, about looking at those small town, that small town dynamics. I'm working on something set, something kind of scary set in a small town. looking forward to it then if you you. haven't read her
0: nicole or you are nicole (laughs) if you haven't read nicole's jamie sinclair series it is amazing it is so good i have devoured every book in that series very quickly which i don't normally do um i'm not like a fast reader or anything but these just they're easy to read probably because you use proper form and story structure (laughs) 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 <laughs> they're, well, good, like, fun. They're, they're they make sense you know they they move
2: fast they're great definitely check out her novels thank you I appreciate that it means a lot to me when another writer enjoys my work thank you so oh, yeah, much
0: yeah it's so fun so fun
2: we have come to the time for our
0: lightning round oh. that I ask all my guests so get ready
2: what is your guilty pleasure? Probably a little bit of chocolate cake and kicking back with a nice piece of chocolate cake at the end of the day. I tell you what, we, we actually yesterday
0: we managed to get two chocolate cakes into our household. I, it was my <laughs> husband's birthday, and he asked for a chocolate cake with that uh, five-minute frosting, that real fluffy marshmallowy stuff. Uh huh. So I made him that, and then I'm I'm playing piano for the school musical one of the other my other bandmates she just every time that there's a musical she bakes everybody a, a little chocolate cake oh wow just because she's nice and she likes to bake cakes and so she brought those last night and oh my goodness that cake was so much better than mine I cannot even tell you <laughs> so we had not one but two chocolate cakes at my house last night it was <laughs> it was very scary to you know like control yourself around two chocolate cakes <laughs> But anyway, moving on. I guess that was my guilty pleasure too for the night. <laughs> but um, all right. So back to back to the actual lightning round. What was your favorite childhood toy?
2: I, I had a stuffed animal named Purple Bunny. Purple Bunny yeah. was probably my favorite childhood toy. Yeah. All right. And favorite adult gadget, favorite adult toy? Oh, it, it's got to be the iPhone, right? I mean, yeah. you know. It is the ultimate toy. Cut it down, yeah. Yeah. When do you ever set it down? Right. All right. Favorite childhood movie? Being over 40, I think I'm, I'm part of that generation where Star Wars made such an impact. Um, and I remember every moment of seeing that movie, my parents taken me, we went to a drive, drive in. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, my brother, my younger brother, you know, he was in his pajamas, and I might have been too. But, uh, you know, just just, you know, when that movie started up on the that big screen, I think that made a world world of difference right there. All right. Well, do you have a favorite movie now? Is it still part of the Star Wars series? Or? I like a lot of movies now I really loved knives out I'm glad to kind of see us coming back to um those those kinds of uh traditional mysteries I loved knives knives out I loved um the first Wonder Woman movie you know I thought it really reflected I think you know Women in general, but, you know, women over 40, how we think and feel and, you know, try to make change in our little world and the larger world. Uh, that one really, I, I loved. And I love old movies. I, I love The Big Sleep. I love um, from the 1930s, The Adventures of Robin Hood. You know, I love all kinds of movies. All right.
0: So what is the most surprising thing about being on the wrong side of 40?
2: Most surprising thing? In a good way. <laughs> surprising <laughs> Yeah. I started to think of negatives and I'm like, that's not good. Oh my gosh. I I just think the experiences, I think you, you know, what kind of shoes you like, you know, what kind of, you know, you know, what kind of food will, you know, won't let you get hungry by noon. (laughs) I know that that's a terrible answer. No, No, well, I, I have found that, you
0: know, like certain foods are starting to affect me in, in a negative way, like I've kind of tried to get away from sugar and I have noticed that my joints, like in the morning getting out of bed, it's just like, it's so easy to get out of bed and do the things I need to do. And my right. muscles might get tired if I, you know, over, overwork my body or something like that. But like my joints are a hundred percent better just with yeah. that. I, I mean, I was a serious, serious sugar junkie. I mean, with my coffee, I would have multiple like cookies and cake and all that. But now with cutting it back, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And, yeah. and I sound crazy, not eating sugar, but like, <laughs> it actually works.
2: <laughs> no, I, I think experience, you know, that, that, you know, what kind of shoes aren't going to kill you, you know, what time to cut back on the caffeine, you know, um, you know, you know what your limits are and, mm-hmm. and you know what, um, and you know, what's not a limit. Yeah. Um, things that might've felt like limits uh, earlier, um, maybe they're not. And maybe you know that now, cause you're on the wrong side of 40. Mm-hmm.
0: So the other side of that coin, the
2: most disturbing thing about being on the wrong side of 40. <laughs> that maybe you only have 40 more ahead of you, right? Or 50. Oh, oh. the <laughs> most <laughs> well, morbid the thing most, about it. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, maybe I shouldn't say that either. But um, the worst thing about being on the wrong side of 40 is, um, but maybe some things take you a little bit longer. Um, and I don't know if that's because you feel like being more patient or... The biceps aren't quite what they used to be when you were (laughs) 20, you know, but uh, yeah, so, you know, some things take you a little bit longer. Maybe that's okay. All right. So now for the final question, what is your dream vacation? Oh, my dream vacation. I would probably go... Um, to a, a remote mountain cabin with my husband and my dogs, and we would take stuff to make s'mores and stuff to make cocktails, and a ton of books and magazines, and a telescope, and stay up late and look at the stars. And that is probably my dream vacation. That does
0: sound like fun, and it sounds like our spring break vacation from a couple of years ago, uh, in Arkansas. There is a uh-huh. place I'll send you the information. It's in it's near a place called Punka, which it's really literally in the middle of nowhere and there's cabins and you can see all the stars. I mean, you look wow. up and you're like, there are so, I, I didn't know there were so many stars. Like you had no idea. And I live like out in the woods. There's not a lot of light pollution where I live. I could kind of see the stars, but there it's like next level. Like wow, you, you look at a, a, at a place and then you kind of look over here and then you see a bunch more stars that you, it, it's like your eyes can't even see all the stars. It's crazy. Wow! And they have, like, you know, boating down the river, which I did not do because, like, I am a bad kayaker. I love kayaking, but, like, I need to do it <laughs> on a, like, <laughs> not a river. <laughs> because I'm very unsteady. So, oh. um, but, yeah, oh, it's beautiful. And hiking and hiking and more hiking. Um, that would be cool. And they have VHS tapes that you can rent. in <laughs> their little stuff. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like 20 years ago. Well, maybe more. I don't know. What, what <laughs> VHS was, was out, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I'll, I'll send you the info, but yeah, definitely that would be a good vacation. All right. So to wrap up here, where can our listeners connect with you online, find your books, find more information about you,
2: uh, they can hit up my website. It's www.nicole, which is spelled with a C-H in the middle, nicolechristoff.com. Uh, I love Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. Uh, both of those are at Nick, N-I-C, Christoff, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-F-F. And of course I'm on um, Facebook and you can always email me and uh, you know, you can find my books everywhere um ebooks are sold and get to know me that way um and I love to hear from readers so yeah follow me on Twitter follow me on Instagram and let's chat
0: all right great I'll put all that in the show notes so people can just click on it but uh yeah thanks so much for coming on again today I really enjoyed talking to you again
2: me too thank you so much for having me
0: In the studio today, I have Jennifer Vinson. She is one of my besties, and she is the owner of Jenny Lynn Photography, and it is based in southern Indiana. She's a Mama 3, a member at Crossroads Church, and a volunteer at Potter's Wheel, and she enjoys traveling and shopping and boating and water skiing. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. All right. So we are going to talk about photography today with her. Um, So how did you get into photography in the first place?
3: Um, I started when... My two girls were about one and three, and I and just... And they are now teenagers. They are now um, 14 and 17. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so I just wanted to get good pictures of them. Um, so I did what every other mom <laughs> does. I went out and I bought a really nice camera and I thought, this is going to be great. I'm just going to buy this nice camera and it's going to produce these wonderful pictures and I'm going to be able to capture memories of them.
0: So then, then it morphed into a business. How, how long it did it take did. to morph into a business?
3: <laughs> um, we started, I, st- I started um, probably a year after I bought my camera. I started uh-huh. taking pictures, and, and I thought, hey, I really like this. I can do this for other people. And, um, yeah, it just kind of went from there. All right. Well,
0: she actually – uh, you remember this, you, she was on the cover of my very first book, yes. her eyes. <laughs> and I mean, you, you worked with a friend of yours who was also a photographer, yes. but you know, you, you kind of set all the stuff up with the photography. So she was really the technically the photographer as well as the model for my first, <laughs> first cover. And I will definitely put that up on the show notes so everybody can see it. So when you were starting out and inexperienced that first little bit, what was the biggest thing you had to overcome to finally feel like you were successful and ready to make it like a a career I mean I know you don't do it full-time full-time but um like to ask people to pay you money to do it
3: (laughs) um I think honestly was learning photoshop Mm. and how to edit them to get them to that next level um where I felt like I could compete with other professionals
0: sure so it's not just taking the photo Um,
3: it's not just taking the photo it's (laughs) And, and also it's knowing your camera, it's lighting changes so much. So you have to know, um, the adjustments to do on your camera on the fly. Mm -hmm. And then, Mm -hmm. and then also just, like I said, learning Photoshop, but that's, that was a huge learning curve that I had to learn on my own, um, years of research. I honestly, I'm still learning and I, you know, I'm by no means expert level of, editing, but Mm -hmm. I know basics and I know enough to make my pictures look decent.
0: Well, she's amazing because she always takes my headshots and and it's always so much fun. I mean, if you do have a session with her, it's it's super fun, you know, because she'll give you little tips. And normally she does my makeup. I know she doesn't do makeup for everybody that she takes a picture of.
3: Yeah, maybe we shouldn't tell people I'm not. But that's, I
0: think that's because she feels sorry for me because I don't know how to do my own makeup. I think that's most of it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think we've gone makeup shopping together to just pick oh, out. Oh, yeah. Pick out makeup for you. Yes.
0: Yes. She has, uh, completely, I I just said here, I have no makeup. Make me have makeup. And she did it. She made it happen. (laughs) All right. So, um, so let's say that I have a decent camera, which I don't, but (laughs) I have my phone. (laughs) Um, well, I guess we do have a decent camera. I just, it's somewhere that I don't even know where it is because Mm -hmm. we don't know the settings about it. We're clueless. And so, like, we'll take a picture with it. And, yeah, it'll be good, but it's not, like, that much better than my phone. So, okay, is there a go-to setting for amateurs, or does that not exist?
3: Um, kind of. I usually tell people to put their white balance setting on auto and then um, change their their mode, their shooting mode, to portrait. Okay. And that will get you decent mm-hmm. pictures. I mean, you're not – going to get that professional level photo without doing some editing in a program like Photoshop or Lightroom.
0: Okay. So do you, I mean, is this even a thing? Like, I know there's like an autofocus versus a manual focus, or is that like old school, old school, and then now it's all autofocus? Because I usually have, I guess I used to have a really nice camera that took Mm -hmm. film, Like 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the first camera we ever bought, you know, um, when we got married. But yeah, it had film and everything. And I had these, I had a long lens and I had a short lens and I would like, you know, dial it to the right. Yeah.
3: And you you had no idea what your pictures were going to look like until you got them developed. Right. Yeah. (laughs) No idea. Yeah. um, I just keep mine on autofocus. Okay. And let that do the, do its thing. All right. All right, so I guess
0: my next question was what's your favorite hack for making photos you've taken on your phone look their best? Oh photos on your phone all right I should read my own question before I ask it. <laughs> so I thought you were gonna say Photoshop but and maybe you still will say Photoshop but is there a is there a hack on the phone as you're taking it or is that again later on in editing?
3: Um, with phones, honestly um, the new I know the new iPhone 13 has an amazing camera on mm-hmm. it. And so it can compete with a lot of your really nice DSLR cameras. Wow. Um, the best free photo app for editing photos on your phone is Photoshop Express. Okay. And you can do basic um, adjust lighting, um, adjust facial like smoothing out skin and, Mm -hmm. you know, different things uh, for free with the Photoshop Express. Um, My favorite, the best overall is um, an app called Light Leap, Um, but you have to pay for it. It's like $1.99 a month or $23.99 a year. But you can remove things in your pictures. You can remove backgrounds. Um, you can add all kinds of actions to change the look of your photo. Oh, fun. Um, it's, it's really awesome. You can add makeup to yourself. (laughs) So I don't have to take photos with makeup. (laughs) It would be great for you. You can just add it after the fact. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome, but you have to pay for it. So, okay. I mean, that's not bad though. If you're,
0: if you're really into photos and you're really wanting to, you know, do that, you know, a couple of dollars a month is not terrible. All right. So when we're talking professional photography, what do people often like not do well? Like, like that would not take them to the more professional level. Like they're trying to be professional but not quite getting it. So what's your advice for success as a professional if you're just starting out in photography?
3: I would say learn your camera. Um, take the time to do the research. You know, take a class if you can find one, and just learn as much about your camera as you can because. Everything lighting and just different environments change where you're constantly having to change settings um, to get your pictures the best. And so I would say learn your camera. That is what um, I had to spend the most time doing was just learning what adjustments to make when um, and then finding a good um, photo editing software, you know, Photoshop Mm -hmm. elements, Lightroom um, and just learn basic editing.
0: Okay. So what trends do you see in photography and which ones should we watch for, you know, that that we might want to do at our next photography session? Mm-hmm.
3: Um, probably the biggest trend and one that I'm pushing now is um, they're called lifestyle photos. And they're photos that are just done in your home. Um, I feel like sometimes you don't get that genuine look when you're at a random place posed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so lifestyle photos are usually done in your home and you pile on your couch or hang out in the kitchen and they're just photos that just capture um, your family and capture who you are um, being in your own environment in a place where you're making memories Mm -hmm. every day. Um, you laugh, you cry, um, you experience life in your home. And so to just do those photos in your environment, mm-hmm. I feel like means so much more than just um, finding a random place outside in a posed. Okay.
0: So kind of like a candid
3: action shot, but posed exactly. enough that yeah. mm-hmm. that it looks really
0: nice. And I've seen your lifestyle <laughs> photos. They're really, really good. Yeah. And I know a lot of people do the lifestyle Style mm-hmm. photos for even like their business, like you would go into somebody's office, maybe, yeah, and do that as well. Exactly,
3: yeah, I've done some head headshot photos um, for people in their home, um, in their environment, mm-hmm. and so that those have turned out really mm-hmm. nice. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh well, my headshots turned out. Really- <laughs> <laughs> they were they were here in my home, and I. <laughs> you should have seen us trying to set up. I had some lights set up on my basement wall, and they it was supposed to be this like really cute light background. Like I have for my, um, little whatever, (laughs) whatever it's called cover art for my, um, podcast. And it's got the lights in the background and she's taking the pictures and she's like, I don't think these lights are really working. She's like, but you know what? I can take it and I can put in a different background later. And I'm like, okay. And then she brings it back and has this really cool background. And I'm like oh, okay. So I should have just <laughs> not worried about these lights that I was trying to string as she was you know, getting here that morning. Yeah.
3: yeah. And the one thing I think you have to keep in mind with lifestyle is lighting. Mm-hmm. So I always want to do them early morning, early afternoon where you have good lighting coming in. And then I also will bring in a light box mm-hmm. to add additional lighting um, just so the pictures aren't dark. And mm-hmm. so playing around with that sometimes can be fun especially in smaller spaces
0: oh yeah yeah totally all right well cool so so you started your business in your 30s but then now you are on the wrong side of 40 with (laughs) me ha so how has being on the wrong side of 40 changed your outlook on what you do or presented you with new and different challenges for your business like is it you know, maybe now that your kids are older, is it harder to find time versus when they were little, you know, when maybe they didn't have all these activities or whatever?
3: Yeah. Um, having two girls who are super involved um, does make it hard sometimes on weekends to mm-hmm. find availability to sure. be able to do pictures. Um, but Jenna's 17, she drives, so. Mm-hmm. I can kind of that helps so much when they they start driving, it's like
0: I don't want them to drive, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's kind of nice. (laughs) Yeah.
3: So now it's okay, you're gonna have to take yourself to cheer practice because I've got to, you know, go take photos. Mm -hmm. But
0: all of my guests are subject to the lightning round, which is (laughs) (laughs) which is what we're gonna start now. Okay, so Jennifer, what is your favorite guilty pleasure?
3: Oh my gosh, without a doubt, caramel macchiatos.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay, I should have guessed that one. All right.
3: Yes, yes. All yes.
0: right. So, favorite childhood game.
3: Um, my favorite childhood game, I would say Monopoly. All right. Absolute favorite.
0: Favorite adult game.
3: Dominoes.
0: Oh, dominoes is fun. <laughs> yes. I haven't played in such a long time, but yeah, that is fun. Um, all right. Favorite childhood TV show.
3: Um, Smurfs. Oh yeah. yes, I would get up Saturday morning, 6 a.m. Watch mm-hmm. the Smurfs.
0: Yes, so. Smurfs were fun.
3: I totally forgot about. I the Smurfs. still watch them. Oh, I still pull up the seasons <laughs> and watch them because nice. I'm that obsessed. Wow. Okay. You get right. I'm dedicated. <laughs> you are dedicated.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Current binge series.
3: Um, I have two. Uh, Virgin River. I am binging now. I'm a little behind on that. Just, I don't get a whole lot of time to watch TV. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm binging the second season of Virgin River and season two of Bridgerton. So the best thing of being on the wrong side of 40. Um, life experiences for sure. Mm -hmm. Like just.
0: Wisdom. The wisdom wisdom that that comes with,
3: you know, (laughs) been there, done that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
0: Okay, so flip side, worst thing about being on the wrong side of forty,
3: slow metabolism. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah,
0: <laughs> and your dream vacation,
3: uh, Hawaii. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. So
0: you have I've, not been? I yet. have
3: never been. Okay,
0: no. all right. This this lady has a mini Mouse coffee <laughs> T-shirt on from her <laughs> recent trip to uh, Disney. Yes, but um, but we're dreaming Hawaii. Here. Yeah. Okay. We are. Yeah, you'll love it. All right. Well, where can listeners connect with you online if they have questions or would like to book a photo shoot?
3: Yeah, they can, uh, they can go to my Facebook page and just type in Jennifer Vinson. And there should be a link on my um, page that you can click on that will take you to my photography page. Or you can look up Jenny Lynn photography. And it's a little black and white photo of Sarah. So it's that's so me. cute. <laughs> and Jenny Lynn is one word. So yeah. All right, well, thank you so
0: much for coming on here and telling us how to take better pictures. I think I'm going to try some stuff here and look (laughs) at those apps.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: You deserve it. Treat yourself to a little something. I am at Blue Stocking Social, and we are looking at some cool, not exactly gadgets, but definitely cool gifts today. They are the Littlest Book Club, and they are earrings that are little teeny 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 tiny book covers book covers this is Annie Fitzpatrick (laughs) by the way Mm -hmm. co-owner so what what have you got here for these book cover earrings yeah so this
3: is a uh, small maker I believe she's based in New York uh, but she makes all of these tiny little earrings that are just like little studs and they are uh, covers of books like this one is the handbook of uh, for the recently deceased which is from Beetlejuice so sometimes they are okay. more pop culture, but- Oh,
0: nice, well, okay, so my over 40 eyes cannot really read that cover, <laughs> I'm glad you said so. Now they I'm, are a little. Yeah. Now I do notice the Great Gatsby because I know what that cover Great looks Gatsby. like. Yeah, I know, usually cool. you can just look at the cover. Yeah.
3: Catcher mm-hmm. in the Rye. Nice. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird.
0: All right, so these are for sale in your store, mm. which is in Evansville, Indiana. And do you also sell these online? We do. We have them on our website. Okay, and that is? Uh, com. And what's the price
3: on these? Uh, they are $15.
0: All right. $15. All right, well, get, on, uh, get online and go to Blue Stocking social and get you some of these. They're super cute earrings, and they look like they are very light. They are, yeah. They would be nice nice to wear. Are, are, do they open? to the little books open? They don't, know. They don't? Okay. <laughs> They're just a cupboard. All right. Okay, so, but, definitely, if you have a favorite book, does she do, does she do, um, like, like, can you order one, like, of your favorite book? Or does she just do certain ones?
3: Um, that I'm not sure of. I know that she does,
0: I feel like she adds to them quite a bit. And... So the classics, definitely. The classics are on there,
3: and some contemporary ones are on there, too. This is... I feel bad now because like we're, this is kind of a low stock for us right now. But, oh, well, like, usually we have, well they've like, got Harry over Potter a dozen. And, yeah. All right.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, that's great. So if you are a bookish person and you enjoy the classics, definitely. And you should get over here and get yourself some little book earnings. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you love the show, please show us some love follow, subscribe, rate, and review Wrong Side of 40 wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to skip a week to get my son moved home from his first year of college, so be sure to come back in two weeks for the next episode. In the meantime, go back and listen to any episodes you might have missed. Catch you soon on the Wrong Side of 40. To get more information on the topics we discussed today, including product links and discount codes, visit carolinefardig.com slash wrongsideof40. That's carolinefardig.com slash wrongsideof40. For behind-the-scenes photos and videos, follow at wrongsideof40 on Instagram. Thanks for listening, you awesome Gen Xers.